All right. You got your Bibles. I just need to know now. Did you read your Bible this week? Good, because if the only Bible you get this week is the Bible we read this morning, not enough. Okay. We are in the third of a four-part series that I'm doing entitled Rim to Rim, and it's based on a, a walk that I took a month ago across the Grand Canyon and back, and so I'm just taking every opportunity that I can to brag about it. No, it's a little more than that, hopefully. What we're doing is we're kind of hopefully doing what Jesus did, and that is he would take real-life experiences, and then he would use those real-life experiences to draw a word picture about what our faith is like, about what the kingdom of God is like, about what being a Christian is like. And so as I've explained to you, as I was walking for all these hours through the Grand Canyon, it was amazing how many lessons I learned that really had spiritual parallels and real-life applications. And so we've gone through two of those weeks already. We started two weeks ago asking the question, when does a walk of faith really begin? And talking about how it doesn't begin when you first take that step into the canyon. It begins long before that when you recognize this can be done. And so the step of faith in our life typically does not begin the moment you become a Christian. It typically begins long before that when you recognize there's something bigger than me. There is a spiritual world out there. There is something that I can participate in. There's something that can be a part of my life, something that I can, I can uh, dip into and be a part of and that could impact me. There is a God, and it matters that he's there and I can relate to him. And that's when our faith begins, and then we keep our eyes on Jesus as the prize for that. We took a look at that two weeks ago. And then last week, we talked about the walk down, the walk in, going deeper, and how we sometimes have challenges in our lives, that the hurts that we have in our lives are very deep, and so we need a faith that's even deeper than our hurts. And how do we plumb those depths? Uh, how do we walk deeply? How do we, uh, how do we get to those places where those deep uh, wounds can be healed by a deep walk? Next week, we're going to take a look at the walk up uh, and some of the challenges that there are in, in moving upwards and towards the end and towards the goal. But today, we're going to take a look at the middle part. And as I've explained to you, the uh, walk across the Grand Canyon is a three-parter. It's one-third down, one-third across, and one-third up. So last week was the one-third down. Next week will be the one-third up. Today will be the one-third across. It's almost flat, not quite, kind of slight angle, but it's pretty close to a, a flat walk, and it's actually a longer mileage than either of the other two sections of it. And that's what we're going to be talking about, that long middle walk. And uh, what we're going to do is relate that to those vast, long middle places in our lives where it may seem like nothing is happening spiritually. Every single one of us has experienced that, right? You go through life and maybe you've had a great spiritual experience or something has happened to you, and then you get to the point where there's these long gaps where it just doesn't seem like anything's really going on spiritually in my life and things are just kind of dry and you wonder what's going on. Is, is faith really real? Is, is anything really happening in my life spiritually? And I'm not going to ask if anybody's experienced that because I know the answer. Everybody has experienced that. You may be in the middle of one of those right now. So today that's what we're going to be talking about is that those vast stretches of our lives where it doesn't seem like much is going on spiritually, what do we do there? Well, the first thing that we want to note, <clears throat> and the main principle I think that we need to understand is after going deep, things always go flat. That's just a life rule that you can write down and look at in your refrigerator door or your mirror every single morning. After things go deep, things always go flat. The main question I get, without question, the main question I get from people who have been Christians for a short period of time and they're just slightly past that initial phase of being a new Christian, 
I can always, I, there, there are times I can almost sit there and count it backwards. Three, two, one, here comes the question, you know. I, because I've been doing this for so long, the main question I always get is, what's wrong with my faith? What just happened? So you've been a new Christian, Christian for maybe for a while, and when you're a new Christian, it, it, it's so exciting and so fulfilling, and you're reading the Bible maybe for the first time, and you're coming to church and meeting people and getting to know who Jesus is, and you're praying, and it's exciting when you read the Bible and when you pray, and your prayers seem to be answered a surprising amount, and then you hit this spot, and all of a sudden, the Bible isn't really quite so fun as it was anymore. Probably because you're in the middle of Leviticus or something, but nevertheless... And your prayers just don't feel like they're going anywhere anymore. And you come to church and it's all boring except for the pastor because his sermons are always awesome. And you're just wondering, what is it about things have gone flat? And so I get this kind of panic. What's going on? What's going on? Something's wrong with my faith. And the answer, of course, is nothing's wrong with your faith. What's happened is real life has hit you. It's, it's kind of like... Um, when the blush of first romance is gone, right? You remember that the, the first, when you first saw him or her across the crowded room and fireworks went off because, ooh, wow, look at that. And then you, you worked up the nerve and it was all exciting to ask that person out. And then the first time you ever held her hand and it was like electricity and it was, oh, this is really great. And then that first kiss was just like, oh, does life get any better than this? And now you're kissing that same face for the last 15 years. I can only get away with this because my wife's not here this morning. I've been kissing that face for 25 years. And I'm going to kiss it again today and enjoy it very much. Thank you very much. It's actually true, 25 years. In August, August 17th, she's not here, so shh. August 17th will be the 25th anniversary of our first date. So, yeah, I'm cooking up something special for that one. So, But, right, you get that first, that first exciting moment, and then... Okay, it's just holding your hand. It's still nice, but it's not, not that, that buzz that it used to be. And you wonder, where'd the buzz go? Well, it didn't really go anywhere. It's just life. You know, you can't always be going up. You can't always be going down. It can't always be, whoa, fantastic, great, wonderful. At some point, things kind of have to settle in, and real life has to, has to take over. So there's nothing wrong. You're not losing your face when all of a sudden things aren't quite the thrill that they used to be. You're just entering the next phase. It's called maturity. It's called life. But I've also noticed that some people in life have trouble with normal. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have trouble when things are too normal? I know there are some of you here. It's like you can handle the big disaster. You can step in and fix that because there's something to fix. You can handle when things are going really great because you just this is great, this is this buzz because things are going terrific. But normal worries you. There are people, right, you have trouble with normal. Normal stuff is just like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with normal anymore. It's just, I need the thrill or I need the disaster. You know, ask yourself, are you the kind of person that can't live life without huge heaps of drama? <laughs> How many of us freak out when things get normal? Well, here's the deal. Normal is normal. That's why it's called normal. It's okay. After going deep, things always go flat. There will be those just kind of mundane, everyday times, and there'll be a whole long stretches of them, and they're okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at those normal stretches. We're going to find out why they come, and we're going to find out what to do. How do we behave in the middle of them? 
One of the first ways that we behave in the middle of them is this. You've got to remember why you're here. You've got to remember why you're here. When I was walking through the canyon, and you get this long middle walk, and it, it occurred to me, this is one of the main reasons I did this walk. Part of it was to get to the other side. Part of it was so I could come back and brag to everybody. But part of it was I wanted to be in a place that almost nobody else has ever been. I wanted to see the beauty of that place from inside it, not outside it. And the only way I'm going to get there is to train to be able to walk down and walk through it. And here I am. I might as well enjoy what's going on around me. Remember why you're here. In life, we need to do the same thing. We need to remember why we're here. Actually, let me show you a couple of slides. I've got a few slides this morning. This is the thrill, right? You just want want to see slides from my summer vacation. You, you You get to see that. You get to see the Colorado River that close up, and most people don't. Take a look at the next one. This is the river, too. You get down. As soon as you get down, that's what you start to see. That's the bridge. And just so you get a perspective on size, those are two people walking there. So you walk across that bridge. There's actually another one you'll see later as well. And then and I think the third one, I think I've got a third one here. There we go. That's, that, is, that is that bridge over there, and I'm on another one. And see, you get to look up, and you get to see that perspective, right? And it's, you, get to, you get to pause in a moment like that and remember, okay, why am I here? I'm here because, wow, I get to look up now instead of down. I get to see things from a different angle, from a different perspective, in a different way than I would have before. I get to see things that few others see because I took the time and the trouble to do something few others will do. And so when you hit the normal parts of your life and things kind of calm down for a bit, it's really about attitude and perspective. How are you going to take it? Are you going to enjoy the slow time or are you going to get fidgety because you're not used to normal? Hebrews 12 is the passage we've been in for this, and we spent a lot of time in it last week, so go there with me again. In Hebrews 12 last week, we looked at the importance of being surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, others who are with you in that walk of faith. We looked at the importance of uh, getting rid of the sin and the entanglements and the, the things that weigh us down so that we can walk more lightly. We talked last week specifically on Father's Day about how the Father disciplines us as sons and how discipline is essential for discipleship that it's not punishment, but that it's preparation for the walk, that it strengthens us. And we talked about the challenges of going deeper last week. But when we discipline ourselves or we allow the Lord to discipline us, discipline always has a purpose. It's not, I don't know about you, but for me, if I don't have a goal that I'm reaching physically, for instance, it's really hard for me to get out there and stand on that treadmill every day when I don't have a goal that I'm aiming towards, other than just, well, you know, I'll be healthier, yeah, you know. It's amazing how being healthier isn't enough of a goal for us. You know, not dying is not enough of a goal for us. You know, not getting sick, I've got to have something cool to aim for, right? But it's just it's the way we are, okay? So there, there's a goal to the discipline, and that's described here in Hebrews. After all the discipline is talked about, it then talks a little bit about the goal of it, and that's Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Let's pause right there. We'll look at the next verse in a moment. But take a look at what he says. The effort is so that we can do what? Live in peace with all men and be holy. It's really the great commandment again. It's love God and love your neighbor. It's be good and get along with others. You know, when when it all comes down, it's always back to the basics and to the simple things, isn't it? It's love God and love others. It's get along, live in peace with all men and be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. God's got a goal for us. You're not going to get to the other rim without it. But along the way, we need to live a holy life and we need to get along with others. We need to be good and and get along. 
So that's, that's the, the, the goal there. Then, then we go along to verse 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And that's where I really want us to focus on for most of really for the next little bit here. Verse 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. Often we miss the grace. I think particularly in our, our society, in our culture, where things are so busy and there's so many things scheduled and we work so hard and there's so much going on, it's really easy to miss the grace. And so God does something extraordinary and we just forget about it and go on. I mean, think about it whenever you have a prayer time maybe with a group of people and you're going to take prayer requests and praise reports. Which do you usually get more of, prayer requests or praise reports? Prayer requests, about 10 to 1 usually, right? In most of the groups that I'm in, it's all prayer requests and, okay, one or two things we might thank God for today. Now, some of that is because, okay, for three years I've been praying for so-and-so to be healed, so every day I've got that prayer request on there. They're healed, I thank God the next day and then move on. Right? That's what happens, isn't it? Isn't that the way we do it? But sometimes we even forget the thanks. Sometimes we miss the grace completely. Here, an, an extraordinary example of that just happened recently. A couple weeks ago, um, one, a, a good friend of mine became very sick. Um, if you drive down the 405, then to the 55 North, immediately on the right you'll see a building that says Assemblies of God on it. And that's the headquarters for our denomination, for the Assemblies of God for Southern California. And there I've got three bosses. And uh, they're elected to be in those positions, kind of like other churches would have bishops or whatever. And those are the three bosses that I have. Uh, as a minister in the Assemblies of God. And one of them, the third guy, the secretary-treasurer, actually, uh, in the middle of the night, his wife found him in his bed not breathing. And she immediately started CPR. She called 911, but they determined uh, by the time um, he, he, the, the, that the people got there and they got him to the hospital that something had gone on with his brain. It's a long, complicated word that I don't remember. Uh, but real problem with his brain, he is, his brain was without oxygen for a minimum of 10 minutes. Um, and they had him on life support for about a day or so and didn't know if he would ever breathe again, if he would ever have any basic brain function again. By the next day or so, uh, they just started sending out emails to everybody, all the ministers in Southern California. The churches started praying for him. We did in some of our smaller prayer groups here at the church and so on, and uh, just a lot of praying for Larry. And uh, about a day later, they got a little bit of good news. He was able to move his eyes a little bit, and he was only on 40% oxygen, so he was breathing a little bit better. But they really figured that was about as good as it would ever get for him. They were hoping that he'd be at the point where he could be conscious, that he'd be able to say, you know, move his eyes left for yes and right for no or that kind of a thing. They figured that that would be about it. A day and a half later, he wakes up, looks around and goes, why am I in the hospital? I feel good, and how much is this costing me? <laughs> Literally true. Literally true. How much is this costing me? And he's out of, the, out, out of ICU. He's feeling better. He's up. He's sitting. He's talking. He's eating. And nobody believed that that could happen. Don't miss the grace when it happens. Don't miss the grace. It's too easy to have all the prayer requests and see all the problems. And then when that happens, to look back and go, oh, well, he must not have been as bad, bad off as we thought then. It must have been this. It must have been that. It must have been that. What did we do all that praying for? if we didn't think it was going to actually be of some value, and then when it is of extraordinary value, we give the credit somewhere else. And when we do, we miss the grace. You've got grace all over the place. There's grace everywhere. Don't miss the grace. Because it's not just about the destination. It's about the journey. The journey matters. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about it's not just about the journey, it's about the destination. And that's true too, and neither one of those contradict each other. 
But the third point matters. It is not just about the destination. It is also about the journey. I walked across the Grand Canyon from the South Rim to the North Rim, and after I got to the North Rim, I realized I could have gotten there by car. Thousands of people do it every year. They drive there in a car. It's amazing. How do they think of that? Well, if you can get there on a car, in a car, why would I want to walk across? What would the, you can't walk, you can't drive through, but you can drive around and get there. If it was just about the journey, I wouldn't have bothered walking, because it's not just about it, the destination. I mean, if it, it's not just about the destination. The journey matters too. This is a comical part of this. Uh, we were at one point where. Um, it was in the middle of the day. It was just as hot as could be, about 100 degrees. And we found a shade spot. And every time you see a shade spot, there's just people collapsed in the shade. So the group of us were there. We were sitting and relaxing for a little bit and taking in some Gatorade and water and did, taking a break. And another group comes along, and they all sit down. And the one, last guy in the group comes in and just flops down in the dust. Dust comes everywhere. He's literally on his back like this, just flopped right in front of me. He's lying on his back. He looks up, and he goes, Beer. Remember, the goal is beer. I looked down and went, dude, I can tell you how to get beer a lot easier than this. And it turns out when we get to the end, everybody, every group that went had somebody at the end meeting them with a cooler full of beer. We get to the end, it's seven preachers. And we get to the end, someone comes out with our cooler and it's filled with orange juice and Coke and they're all looking at us like, what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> but the point obviously is that it's not about the destination. There are easier ways to get beer, okay? There are easier ways to get to the North Rim. There are easier ways to get the destination. It's, it's about the journey. The journey matters. The journey, we go on it for a reason and we need to remember it's not just the destination, it's the journey. And let's enjoy the journey. There's a reason to walk the road of faith aside from just getting to heaven. Now, getting to heaven is the most important thing because eternity compared to what we're living here is just, there's no comparison. But there's a reason why God puts us here for the time that he does, and it's not just some cruel test that we might or might not pass in order to get to heaven. There's a task for us to do. There's a purpose that we're put here. Every single one of us is here for a reason. Jesus talked about it all the time in his own life. He'd say, I'm here for a reason. I have a purpose. I'm here to do the Father's business. I'm here with with reason and purpose in my life, and you have it in your life too. So we need to recognize it's not just I've got to get through this to get to the other side but recognize there is a purpose for the journey itself. We need to understand who God is and how he relates in our lives, how we can relate to him and how we can do his will because that, that, that is our task while we're here just as it was Jesus. So we have, a, we have a job. There's a reason for the journey. But in addition to the job that he's given us as part of the journey, he's also given us some joy. And so we need to do the fourth thing, and that is enjoy the long, hard-to-measure middle walk. The middle walk is hard to measure. When you're starting something in your life, there's usually pretty recognizable progress steps as you begin something. And when you get close to the end, there's usually really recognizable steps of progress. I've only got this one last thing to do, or only these two little last things to do, and when they're done, you you see them. But in virtually every aspect of life, while the beginning and the ending has very recognizable steps, there's usually a long, vast middle where it feels like very little is happening. And we need to learn to enjoy those long, hard-to-measure, middle-walk steps of our lives and of our faith. 
the, the, the recognizable growth happens at the beginning and at the end, but the beginning and the end, the up and the down, are also the hardest parts. We get to the middle ground and we feel like we're not making progress, but again, it's all about our attitude. We can look at the middle ground where things don't seem to be happening, and we can look at it with one of two attitudes. We can say, oh, this is boring. can't believe my spiritual life isn't going anywhere. It must be the church's fault. I need to find another church. I get blamed for you guys' spiritual failures all the time, so I'm used to it. But it happens. It happens regularly. Oh, something's wrong with my spiritual life. I'm not growing. It's got to be the church's fault. And we think it's a, it's a problem. And my, my answer to you is it's probably nobody's fault. There's probably nothing wrong. It's probably just life happening, and you walk through it, and you get to the other side of it. Trust me, there's times I've blamed you for my lack of spiritual progress. <laughs> and you're no more to blame for mine than I am to blame for yours. It's life. It's just what happens. And so we've just simply, sometimes it's just a matter of patience, and it's the attitude. I can look at it and say, this is boring, or I can say, well, I get to rest for a little bit. There's no panic going on. There's no big emergency happening. Nobody's needing me to rush to their aid right now. I can relax a little. I maybe have a little more time. Maybe I can dig in a little deeper to Scripture. Maybe I can help out in some ministry a little bit more. I've got a little more energy than I used to have. See, that's what I did during that middle walk. I learned from the people who'd been there before. And they tell you the process during the middle walk. Don't rush through it. First of all, enjoy it, but also use it as a time to conserve your energy. Use it as a time to drink more water than you normally would. Use it as a time to eat more trail mix and stuff than you normally would because when you're grinding it up there, your stomach will get to the point where you're just not going to feel like it anymore. You've got to put it in during the time where it's a little bit easy. Prepare for the tough times ahead. So when things kind of go flat, and seem, you can either say, this is boring, or I get a rest and I can prepare for the tough stuff to come. Thank you, Lord, for the break. But it's about the attitude. So enjoy that middle walk. It's hard to measure, sure. But the best things in life are hard to measure. Right? How do you measure the joy that you have being with your family and friends? How do you measure the beauty of a song? How do you measure the, you know, the warm sun on a summer day? I'm going to start talking about rainbows and ponies in a second, aren't I? <laughs> There's going to be a unicorn in this speech soon. I feel like a Hallmark card. But they're, right, they're true. They're, these things in life, they're hard to measure. And I really think the Bible talks about the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of money. And I think one of the reasons that the love of money is the root of evil is because those who love money, part of the reason they love it is because it allows us to measure ourselves against each other. How can I know my life is better than yours if I don't have something, a measuring stick, where's the measuring stick that says my marriage is better than yours? There isn't one. Where's the measuring stick that says, you know, name, name whatever thing about real life? But money, oh, if I got more money, then I can say I've, I've, I've got a better life than you. I'm a better person than you. I'm, right? We can measure it then. And I really believe that's the main reason. Those who love money, one of the main reasons they love it so much is because it's a way of comparing. It's about competition. And we need to lay that aside and realize, you know what? We all have the life to live that we have to live. And there's no value whatsoever in comparing one to the other. Let's just enjoy the stuff that's hard to measure. Let's just enjoy the joy of it. Most of life can't be measured, and we need to stop trying. Along with that comes this next rule, and it's so important as a rule out of Scripture. Take pleasure in the law of the Sabbath. The law of the Sabbath is, is, the, is the fun law that unfortunately by the time Jesus came along, the Pharisees had turned into the burdensome law. 
But Jesus said, no, 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 you've got this one wrong. This is the party law. This is the law that says you don't work seven days a week. This is the law that says you get to have a break. This is the law that says slow down and relax. This is the law that says let's have a feast and invite friends over. This is the law that says let's throw a party. That's what the law of the Sabbath is about. Jesus put it this way in Mark. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The reason the Sabbath was given wasn't so that we could fit into some preconceived of what the Sabbath is supposed to look like, but that the Sabbath fits us. It's, it's, it's what we need. You realize up until the Sabbath law was established in the Ten Commandments, everybody on earth worked seven days a week, pretty much. There was almost no exception to that. And God comes along and says, you know what? You guys need a break every once in a while. One out of seven. So one-tenth of the Ten Commandments tells us, take a break, rest, relax, slow down. Now, like I say, by the time of Jesus, the religious leaders had turned that into a burden and all of a sudden I couldn't do all kinds of things that I wanted to do on Sabbath. But that was never its intent. And so Jesus, that's why of, of all the points of the law that Jesus fought with the Pharisees the most over, he fought with them the most over the law of the Sabbath. With them saying, it's strict, it's hard, you can't do this, you can't do this. And Jesus going, that's not what it's for. Go ahead and pick some grain and eat it. You can enjoy this on the Sabbath. You can have fun on the Sabbath. You can, you can have fun worshiping you can enjoy all these things. It is, it is for you. It is a blessing to you and not a burden upon you. And they just could not get that concept. We need Sabbath in our lives. We need those times of rest. You walk down that entire side and you get to the point where you just want to break. I think we got a slide here. As soon as you walk down that uh, first steep hill, you hit the Colorado and then you hit Bright Angel River. And for that entire long walk, you walk along this little river called Bright Angel River. It's a beautiful little creek that goes along. And 90% of that long middle walk, this little creek is right next to you. There's waterfalls at different times and so on. And when I went there, it was 98 degrees out. It was 98 degree day. The water was 40 degrees. Oh, yeah. So I'm sitting right outside. That's the first time I hit that river and sat and put my feet in it. And that was just, that was heaven on earth right there. I, I look at that picture right now and I just, I feel good all over I remember you're walking down and it's hot and it's miserable and I've got all this just, just and the stress on your feet and you're, you, you can barely get your shoes off because your feet have swollen from the walk. And then you put your feet in 40 degree water. When you put the shoes back on, they go in real easy because the swelling has gone down because that cold water is so refreshing. It's a Sabbath. And what they tell you is if you just keep walking and don't take the breaks, it will take you longer to get across than if you take breaks. Because your body needs the breaks. Your body needs the rest. Your physical body needs it, like putting your feet in a river. Your body needs it to be able to drink, just to be able to sit and relax and have your, your, your breathing calm down and your muscles relax and everything else and settle in. See, we've got an interesting society where we've got problems, I think, on both sides of the same issue. On the one side, we've got people who work too hard and never take a break. On the other side, we've got people that we can't seem to get out of their grandmother's basement. Right? And, and we've got the issue on both sides. The Sabbath works when you've been working and you earn the Sabbath. Otherwise, it's just another day that you're being lazy. Okay? So we've got to put it in proper perspective. But when you're working the sixth, oh, that seventh is amazing. As an example of this, for, for my working out regimen, I was, for years I was just the guy who sat on the couch every evening and ate chips and ice cream and watched TV and didn't, just didn't move. Okay? And a few years ago I realized this is not good. I had to lose some major pounds, and I did. 
And then I set these goals just as a physical way of keeping myself in shape. But what I've realized is this. Before, when I wasn't exercising regularly, a day that I didn't exercise was just another day that my body was less well-off than it was the day before. But now that I work out regularly, I take one day and six off. That one day that I don't work out is as valuable to my body as the day I do work out. See the balance. Because I'm working it, the rest now comes to benefit me. But if I'm just lazy, and spiritually is the same way, if I'm just lazy, I feel like, oh, it's just too hard, I need to take a break. But if that's all I'm doing is rushing and then taking the break and not really getting the proper nourishment, the proper things that I need, it's just, it's always downhill. But you get to the point where you're working and, and moving and keeping, just keeping consistent in it. Physically, it's the same way. Spiritually, it's the same way. Then you can enjoy those rest times and go, this is good for me too. But it doesn't happen until the work's in there. So that's why the, the law of the Sabbath is so important because it's the combination of the work and then the break from the work. And we need to have both. We need to see the value of both. Take pleasure in the Sabbath. Moving from that to a very simple principle, and that's this. Have fun. Have fun. At some point in your life, you've got to laugh every once in a while. Too many of us are way too serious. I saw an amazing illustration of this a couple of days ago. Home Depot. Well, I'm to Home Depot on Friday, and I was heading out with my bag full of stuff. I walked past a mom and her two kids. They were boys, probably about 9 and 11 would be my guess. And she had bought some conduit, about 8-foot-long conduit, you know, plastic piping. And she had seven or eight pieces of it. So she had most of it. It wasn't that heavy. But she'd given each of the boys one to give them something to do because they're 9- and 11-year-old boys. And so she had obviously told them how to carry it properly because they were carrying it straight up like this. So she'd obviously told them, hold it straight up because obviously if you hold it like this, you're going to hit people and bang into things. So they're walking around, and they're outside, and they're walking to the car. And, of course, being 9- and 11-year-old boys, they'd turn this into a game. And so it was, I'm holding it up. No, I'm holding it up higher. No, I'm straighter. No, I'm straighter. No, I'm straighter than you. They weren't being mean. They weren't hurting each other. They weren't angry. They were having fun. They turned it into a game. Who can hold it straighter? Who can hold it higher? It was great. And they're walking along. Mom in the middle of it turns to them and goes, you boys, stop that. I can't believe you can't take anything that I ask you to do without turning it into a stupid game. Have you ever just wanted to step in and just say, okay, hang on here. I, lesson time here. Can we take a break? Let me help you out, Mom. I so wanted, and I just couldn't, right? It wasn't my place. And I was just, oh, no, don't do that. I thought, are you kidding me? The boys are obeying you and think it's fun. As a mom, it doesn't get better than that. That's as good as it gets right there. Nine and 11-year-old boys obeying mom and thinking it's fun. That's as good as it gets. Do you have to turn everything into a game? Yes, they're nine and 11-year-old boys. If they didn't, I would advise you to turn it into a game for them. That's the way it works. But you know what she, what she did in that little moment was she told them, obeying mom will always be miserable. And if you're not miserable, it's not obedience. That's the message they got, right? I guarantee you that's not the only time. That's the message those poor boys are getting from a mom who's probably a good mom and a good person, but is just frazzled or whatever, right? And again, I wish I could have stepped in and said, hey, just let me show you this. And I thought, no, I would have gotten that conduit right upside my head. <laughs> have fun. Why else would you be doing this thing called life if not to enjoy at least part of it? No, life is not about fun. That is not the ultimate reason we're here. 
But God did create us so that he could have joy in us. And it's hard for me to imagine God having joy in me if I'm not having some joy in him and in what he gave me. Again, it's the parent-child thing. If my kids aren't enjoying their lives, if they're miserable and not having fun and, and not enjoying their life, then I'm not, I, I want them to have fun. I want them to have a good life full of joy and wonderful things. I want to see their faces light up on Christmas morning. We were just talking earlier about my, my nephew. Just, they just got a dog, and he, he's just out of his mind excited about this dog. He took him for nine walks yesterday. <laughs> and can you imagine the parents looking at him and going, no, you stop enjoying that dog so much. Are you kidding me? That's what life is about. And God looks at us the same way. I'm glad. I'm thrilled, God says, when you enjoy the things that I've given you and the life that you have to live. Have fun. Enjoy it. God wants us to. As a quick example of that, as we're going along the Grand Canyon, there are many stops along the way for water, so you don't have to carry it all with you because uh, you can't, almost nobody can carry enough water for the entire walk. So they have a lot of water stops along the way. And as we got to the other end, uh, we got there and we were talking about the, along the way, and I had noticed several people who were carrying their own bottled water, like stacks of it. I'm going, man, talk about a purist. If you really have to have sparklets that badly, stay home. I mean, but they're carrying it. So I, somebody had commented on that. And uh, one of the, the women who usually walks, she was the designated driver to drive around and meet us on the other side. Yes, your pastor did an event in which I had to have a designated driver. Um, well, she usually walks it, but she didn't this time because there's always someone who drives around and meets us on the other side with all of our stuff. And she was that one. So when she met us there and I mentioned that, she said, oh, no, I usually carry my own because I just can't drink that water. And I went, water's really good. And her husband, who was along the, the walk, said, oh, no, they've changed it since last year when you were there. The water used to taste awful, and now they've changed it, and it really tastes good. It's good water now. She goes, oh, that's great. What happened was, for so many years, the water had just been the regular municipal water piping in, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But there, it was not good-tasting water, even though it was pure and fine, good to drink. It didn't taste good. And what they found out was more people were dehydrating because they didn't like the taste of the water. Taste matters. It seems silly. I mean, here I'm going to dehydrate or I'm going to taste water that's icky tasting. Just drink the water. But it didn't. People stopped drinking the water or didn't drink as much of it as they should because they didn't like the taste. So they've changed the taste, and now they have far few people being dehydrated, far less medical problems, far few people having to be rescued because they're drinking the water regularly. It's interesting how just a simple change in taste matters about enjoying life and the senses that God has given us and enjoying those things. Have fun. It matters. All right, along with the same line, we'll do the next three real quick, and then we're going to have our, our time of communion at the end of the service. Next is enjoy the view. I'll show you another couple quick slides for this one here. Enjoy the view. This is, uh, this is a picture of me on that middle walk. Just one of the shots. There are others that are better, but they were taken with other people's cameras, and they haven't sent them to me yet. So this is the one that was taken with my camera. But you can see the path goes there and it goes along. And that's just a long, long, long middle walk. It's part of it. And you get to see some very pretty things. The next one, I think, I think we've got one more on it. And that, that's the river. And you get to see all these little waterfalls here and there. And that's just one of them. There's others that are bigger and others that are further distance. And just all kinds of beautiful things that you see. And there's a view that you see when you're walking down that middle walk that you don't see if all you do is stand on the edge and look in. So if you just stand on the edge and look in at faith or at life or at church or at the Bible or at God himself, you'll get a view and it'll be good and it'll be interesting, but it won't be nearly the fullness that you can have than if you get down in there and you really enjoy the view. And you can only enjoy the view if you do this, if you stop looking at just the next step. Some of us are so consumed with our own lives and our own things that all we're looking at is the very next step we're going to take 
and we have to pause, and we have to look around, and we have to see the bigger picture. There's a great view around us to enjoy that God has given us, friendships and just the beauty of the world. And again, I'm getting very hallmark on you right now. But there is, there's this view to see, and it won't happen if we're just measuring ourselves against somebody else. We've got to stop measuring. We've got to stop comparing. We've got to enjoy what God has given us and just let the rest be. Enjoy the view. Next, share the experience. We've talked about this a bunch before, so I won't dwell on it today. But going with somebody matters. For the first part, as we talked about already, for the safety of it, it's important. But it was also important, especially in the long middle walk, to have somebody with you, because otherwise it really does get boring. Living life alone is really boring. But living life with someone else, even when the other things are boring, you're with that person that you like, and there's the joy that happens there. So we were on this trip, and it was all preachers, and most of us had never met each other before. And I was on this middle walk. Through most of it, I was with two other guys that I'd never met before. And so we were just talking back and forth. And it was one of those rare times when I was with other ministers and we weren't talking about our churches. We were just talking about stuff, just fun stuff. And we were just, and after about an hour and a half conversation back and forth as we're walking through this middle walk, there's a pause. And one of the guys goes, you know what? I don't usually like hanging around with other pastors, but you guys are cool. The other two of us responded word for word at exactly the same time with this. I was thinking exactly the same thing. (laughs) Yes, even preachers don't like hanging around with preachers. We irritate each other sometimes. But it was interesting just to be able to share this and go, hey, this is a different experience outside of the norm, and we had fun with it and we enjoyed it, even to the point of kind of, you know, joking back and forth with all that. Don't walk life alone. Share the experience with somebody else. And then finally, these three principles we'll put together because they all relate to each other. Take pictures, buy souvenirs, and build memories. Took some pictures, and I've shown some of them to you. Also bought some souvenirs. I've got this rim-to-rim sign on my office wall. It'll be there forever so that I've got a reason for somebody to ask about it, and then I can brag again. Because when you do that, you build memories, and you remember the things that you've done, and the Lord wants us to do that too. It was interesting. Just uh, I had the one experience at Home Depot. Also, I had this one experience at Costco yesterday. I went into Costco yesterday, and I forgot I was wearing a, 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 a shirt from Phantom Ranch. I think we got one slide from Phantom Ranch here too. Phantom Ranch is the hotel and store that is at the river. So you walk down, and you can stay there if you want overnight. It's a, just very rustic, very nice cabins and so on. And that's a picture of me at Phantom Ranch. And uh, when you get there... Um, they have T-shirts that they only, the only place in the world you can buy them is Phantom Ranch. And every year they change the T-shirts so you can, people who really know it know which year you went by the shirt you've got kind of a thing. And um, they don't sell them online. They don't sell them on either edge. Literally, if you have one of these on your back, you walked there and walked out again. It's the only way you can get it. So yesterday I was wearing it and I wasn't thinking about it. And I'm going along at Costco and all of a sudden this woman jumps in front of me. She jumps in front of me and goes, Phantom Ranch! I, and I, I wanted to go, no, Carl Vader's. <laughs> and I realized, oh, I'm wearing the shirt. I went, oh, yeah, you've been there? She said, yeah, I used to work there. So I used to walk down and walk back all the time. She said, when were you there? And I told her about it. We spent 20 minutes in the middle of Costco trading stories about this spot and this spot. Oh, don't you love it when you go there? And isn't it awful when you turn around and you think you're going to go here and all of a sudden it's there? Oh, yeah. And we're talking about all this stuff. And it was interesting as we're talking about, it. first of all, just the shared experience, how fun that was to find somebody and have that shared experience with them. But most of the stuff we talked about was the hard things. You know, that one turn after the bridge and you look up and it's just, oh, yeah, and then it's like an hour and a half. Of, oh, yeah, that was awful. But we've got smiles on our faces. We're talking about it. Why? Because it's over. 
and we did it. We accomplished it. Okay, and we've got the memory of it, and the souvenir now gives me an opportunity to share that with someone else and to relive it only now without all the pain. And there are times in our lives when we need to commemorate things the Lord does for us. I'm going to ask the band to come up as we conclude with this. But we need to commemorate sections in our lives. We need to honor who God is and what he has done. Keeping a spiritual journal is one way of doing that. Uh, one of the reasons why, for instance, every once in a while we'll have an altar call where we'll ask people to come forward to make a commitment or recommitment is so that there's this physical thing that I did that I now have a memory of that I can re- recollect and I can, I can return to again at some other time. And Jesus, of course, talked about the importance of memory. And the main memory that he talked about is the memory we're going to celebrate today. Jesus only gave us two rituals when he was on the earth. People find that hard to believe who've been in some churches because it's all about rituals all over the place. Jesus only had two. One of them we're supposed to do once in our life, and then that's done. So he really only gave us one that we do on a consistent basis. One ritual, that's all. And it's the ritual of Holy Communion. He says, I want you to do this ritual, and he said, I want you to do it for a very simple reason. I want you to do it to remember me, to remember my death until I come again. It's a ritual for memory. It's like taking a picture. It's like buying a souvenir. It's a way of building a memory and recognizing what Christ did in my life. And one of the things that we can do when that happens is we can take the moment that we're at right now and say, Lord, I want to commemorate a turning point or a time that I want to make a turning point and I want to do this as a celebration or an honoring or a commemoration of a new phase in my life. So this morning we're going to take communion. The way we're going to do it this morning is we've got the communion plates on each side and we have one back here as well. And so as we sing the song, Take My Life, which is just a great song to sing for this because it's about commemorating Christ giving his life and Lord, because you gave yours, I want to give mine. As we sing the song, at any moment you want, you can get up and take the elements, grab the bread, grab the cup. You can take it there. You can come back to your seat and take it, whatever you'd like. But just for a few moments together, we're going to worship as people do that, and then I'll close it in just a few moments. But as you do that this morning, I want you to reflect on what we've talked about this morning. Are you one of those people that has trouble with normal? Maybe you need to surrender that to the Lord in communion this morning. Maybe you're one of those people that wish you had some normal going on because it's all one tough thing after another. Maybe you need to commemorate, Lord, I'm going to dig a Sabbath out of this. Sometimes Sabbaths come to us, but most of the time we've got to make them happen. And maybe you're one of those that you've got to make a Sabbath happen in your life. You've got to find that place and take this and say, Lord, as I take this, I ask that you would help me to do that, to commemorate your death by living my life the way you want me to live my life, to taking all the joy that I can out of it, by having a purpose that you've given to me, by recognizing that purpose and following it. I want you to stand together. And as we go into communion, I just want to take one quick note. If you're visiting our church today, we want to give you an idea of how and why we take communion. Some churches, you have to take classes and so on before you can take communion, and that isn't the case here. Because the scripture just simply says communion is what we do as the body of Christ. If you know Jesus as your Savior, we welcome you to take communion with us and celebrate being the body of Christ. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can. You can know him personally. You can come to a saving knowledge of Christ. If you don't, you can let it pass you by and just say where you are. Others will be coming and going. Nobody's going to notice. It's not about pointing you out. But if you've never accepted Christ into your life, what I'd like to do even right before we take communion now is to give you a chance to do that by saying a prayer with you. And if you don't know Jesus and want to, if you say this prayer with me and you mean what it says, 
you can ask Jesus into your heart and you can become a new person right now. I'm going to ask everybody to repeat this with me. But if that's where you are and you'd say, I want to come to Christ, I want to have a relationship with Jesus, say this prayer with me as your introduction to a life with Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on a cross, to rise again, to save me from my sins. Lord, I'm sorry for all my sins. I repent of them. I ask you to forgive me. And I thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven me through your cross. Help me to live for you every day of my life from this day on through the ups and downs and all the flat places in between. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We're going to worship as we do. Grab communion, find it for a moment, and in a few moments I'll close in prayer. Lord, our lives are yours. It's the only way that our life can make sense, that we can find fulfillment, is to give it away. Lord, I thank you that when we do, you handle it so gently and so lovingly, and you open to us so many new opportunities and joys that your burdens are not burdensome. They're not meant to weigh us down. But Lord, you give us opportunities and privileges and joys and you give us life. Help us, Lord, not to miss the grace. Help us, Lord, to see every opportunity, every privilege, every mercy, every grace, every hope, and to live in it thoroughly and completely. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Just put those cups in the garbage on your way out if you want to, or, yeah, just do that. And uh, you, if you're hanging around for the youth parenting, it'll be starting in just a few minutes. Hi there. If my voice sounds familiar because you've just been listening to a message from me, my name's Carl Vaders. If the voice you're hearing now is different from the voice you just heard, well, either way, the message you just heard was preached at Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. And we're just tagging this on to the end of, in case you got a copy of a copy of a copy of something, and I'm not sure where it came from. Cornerstone Christian Fellowship is located at 17575 Euclid Street in Fountain Valley, California. You can get a hold of us through the phone number 714-962-5412 or check us out on the web at cornerstonefv. That's cornerstonefv for fountainvalley.com.